and welcome back to the KI Prime podcast. My name is Alina Jenkins, and in this episode, we're speaking to Dr. Syra Cristancho. Syra is an associate professor in the Department of Surgery and a scientist at the Centre for Education, Research and Innovation at Western University, London, Ontario, in Canada. She received her PhD degree in mechanical engineering from the University of British Columbia. Syra's research investigates how action teams navigate and respond to disruptive events, and her program aims to shed light on how best to support training and practice for resilient teaming in healthcare. Syra, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. My first question to you is that you were the first engineer to join the medical education research community in Canada. So I'm really interested what inspired you to move from mechanical engineering to medical education. Yeah. Well, thank you for the question because uh, it always allows me to explain that my story is about serendipity more than planning. People think that in your career, uh, you kind of have plan and decide what to do next. But in my case, and I'm very sure it's the case of many people in medical education, it's just an instance in your career or a moment talking to someone that make you realize and shift completely direction. So yes, I, I'm a mechanical engineer by training. When I finished my PhD, I did my PhD at UBC in Vancouver. I really wanted to stay in Canada, but there was no opportunities at the time. So I went back to Colombia and I spent two years there. Colombia was just beginning to get out of the crisis that we had with the drug dealing and the internal civil war. So the country was just beginning to emerge. So research was not really a top priority. And that's what I wanted to do. So I spent two years doing a lot of teaching, but I personally, I was not really fulfilled. And then I was trying to find a way to go back to Canada and continue with the research enterprise. And then my best friend at the time emailed me one day and said, uh, there is this opportunity of U of T that sounds like you. So I emailed the person in charge of the opportunity and he said, oh, I know you. And I'm going like, I'm sure we don't know each other. He said, yeah, I saw you presenting at a conference about your PhD. And there is an idea in there that I want to use in my research. Come and work with us. Totally serendipity. I didn't know the person. And six months later, I'm back in Canada doing simulation work because that's kind of the closest that you will connect engineering with medical education. But then I did that as a more strategic move to go back to Canada knowing that simulation wasn't an interest, but it was not where my heart lie. But if it is not because of that experience, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know that there was this whole field of medical education that will open my eyes to understanding things like teaming, uh, crisis, disruption, which is something that I always carry with me from my upbringing. And I wanted to do something about it. So how I entered medical education was through simulation, through an opportunity that just came to me by serendipity. And after that, I kind of started to find my way into what I'm doing now, which is qualitative work, which is a, another transition in my career. But yeah, that's how I ended up in medical education. Yeah. And I wondered, being um, a mechanical engineer, what advantages that has given you? Because you're seeing it through an entirely different lens. Right. Yeah, so I think the main uh, perspective that I, that I bring is what people know as systems thinking. As an engineer, we are trained to think about structures as opposed to individual pieces. So if you see a building, if you see a machine, I see the whole thing together as opposed to the little mechanisms that work with each other. So all it takes me is to understand how a system works, let's say uh, an operating room team, 
by looking at interrelationships or connections. I'm not so much interested in the person itself, but I'm more interested, let's say, in the surgeon by themselves, even though I started there. But I'm more interested in how the surgeon interacts with the north, nurse, with the, with the anesthesiology, so the connections and how people move with each other as a collective. And I guess the systems thinking, the structural kind of thinking is what affords me to do the work as an engineer in medical education. You also look at things through through other lenses as well. So you're looking at things through um, sociobiology yeah. as well. So tell, tell me more about that. Yeah, so that was a very recent... Um, transition that I'm doing. I, for the longest time, my passion has been about disruption and crisis and complexity. And I was always looking at the literature, mostly in psychology and sociology. But I felt that for the most part, it was about the individual. So you start with the individual to study a collective. Then that didn't resonate with me. And then through a colleague uh, at Western, uh, Dr. Graham Thompson, he's a biologist. I had a conversation with him, informal conversation, and he taught me about social insects and how the unit of analysis is the collective. So it's the colony as opposed to the individual ant or, or the bee. It's more about the whole hive or the whole colony ant. And that really resonated with me. So I started to learn about sociobiology as a way of understanding collective work that I could apply for teaming research in my case. I thought that that was a better fit for me than the other lenses that I was looking into. And I realized that there was not so much about the biological perspective on teams. And I thought, well, maybe this is the time to bring it over. Mm -hmm. So that's how now I'm combining engineering, sociobiology, and qualitative research altogether. Yeah. So, so let's talk about where you are at the moment. This is a really fascinating yeah. subject and area of research. And I, I think we can all see where this can lead us. Uh -huh. So you're exploring teamwork in military mobile resuscitation teams. So what are you hoping to do with this area of research? So I had an opportunity to visit a, one, a military base in the United States to see how the mobile resuscitation teams are trained and selected before they go into an operation overseas. And it got me thinking about the idea of rapid response teams. And this is a work that I'm doing in collaboration with people in the U.S. And we are trying to find a way to find connections that we can apply, particularly after COVID, that hospitals are beginning to think a little more about how can we improve our response systems when a crisis comes like a, a pandemic or now that there is more domestic terrorism around the world, how can we better train those people? So my hope is that by understanding how that kind of resilient teaming is how I'm calling it, works in industries where it's already proven to be worked, maybe we can translate some of those strategies to healthcare and help large and small hospitals develop their own there are rapid response systems, but I guess it's probably improving, fine-tuning, finding ways to make it better. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm, I'm heading towards. Mm. And, and where are you at the moment then in, in trying to do those things? Yeah. Are, you, are there any sticking points? Are there any challenges? So at this moment, uh, I already did a study looking at different industries just to get me into understanding the context because I can only know so much, right? So business, music, military, and SWAT teams in the, in the police. And that gave me kind of some lenses about ideas that are very controversial in healthcare, but for those industries, it's kind of the bread and butter. 
one of them being plasticity. It's a word that is used in sociobiology. So plasticity means the need to know each other's roles well so that when someone is not available, another person can take over. It's kind of idea of being interchangeable. When I talked about that idea in healthcare, it raises some eyebrows and it makes people feel very uncomfortable because for them it's like, uh-uh, I'm a physician, that's the nurse, we don't cross over many times. So I'm finding that the sticky points is mostly around cross-training. So in these other industries, cross-training or knowing each other's roles is very natural. They just, they grow with that. In healthcare, we're not that natural on that yet, even though some people might say, oh yeah, we need it, but we don't we don't really do it very purposefully. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the, the aspects that I will have to navigate because I have got really strong reactions from some people when I try to talk about these ideas that I'm in the process of, okay, how can I talk about this in a way that doesn't make people feel uncomfortable, but rather make them feel open to the idea and we can have a more productive conversation rather than trying to defend each other. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a challenge that I'm going through. So at, the, at this moment, now that I study those industries, I'm focusing a little bit more on the mobile resuscitation teams because those are still healthcare teams. So they're closer to what we're trying to achieve in the civilian environment. And studying those, that's what I'm doing now, observing, interviewing those members. And the next stage will be how can we translate using the instance of the COVID response teams and interviewing those teams as well to try to compare and contrast what is similar, what is different, and then provide some suggestions for policy or training. You mentioned music yeah. a little yeah. a little while ago. Tell me, tell me more about that. That was, that was the most mind-blowing thing that I've done because I, it was, again, serendipity. I, that, I think that would be the, <laughs> the word of my career. Having a conversation with someone in the business area, actually, and he said, okay, well, we're talking about plasticity here. And there is another concept co- called trace-based communication, which is the idea of communicating with objects as opposed to words. And he said, maybe you should look into orchestras. And I'm going, what? I know nothing about music. But he said, try it. And I so luckily found a, a, collab- a person who was a physician and was an orchestra violinist. And perfect, because he could translate the idea. So he explained to me in orchestras, the way they are arranged in the, how do you call, whatever their place, is is very intentional. So they arrange people in pairs and also in rows. So every pair is is a redundancy system. So two violinists playing together means that if one violinist loses the thread, of the music, the other one can continue and people wouldn't notice until the other person will go, okay, there is a point in the, like in the music um, guidance that allows them to go back in track. Similarly, the rows is kind of a replication system in which if one row loses horror control of the music, the other row can take over. So the idea of plasticity is right there, but also the idea of communicating without talking because they cannot. They just look at each other. They say there is a lot of movement so they can move the, the page and the other person will go, it's okay. I can, I'm okay. I, I can take over. I have your back. So those kind of messages were always there. And I n- never crossed my mind that music will be such a place where those ideas of plasticity and trace-based communication will be replicable as it is in sociobiology. So that's why music landed in my 
in my plate on what we researched. It's fascinating, yeah. isn't it? There you are, you know, with your background in mechanical engineering, and here we're talking about orchestras and then how they communicate, but how that all blends in together. And that kind of leads me to where we were last night. So we were at the wonderful art studio with Astrid at the opening dinner for, for KI Prime 2023. And it was interesting for me to see so many top scientists and researchers and medics nodding as Astrid told her story about art and then that connection with science. I'm just wondering your thoughts on, on what happened last night and, yeah. and Astrid's um, talk that she gave to us. I was fascinated, first of all, because of the commonalities. Now that I'm looking at different industries, because I have learned that even though we are in different professions, there is always a common thread. Yeah. And one of the things that I took away from last night was this idea. She talked about gravity and about background in her feelings, depending on her piece of art. And I was reflecting into how can we do that as researchers, especially in this era where social media, where the general public are interested, more engaged into learning a little bit more about what we do. I don't think it's feasible for us to continue just resorting on our usual products like papers. That's too boring, unfortunately. <laughs> we need to engage more with the kind of general public communication strategies. So blogs, podcasts, all, all those kind of systems. So in those genres, in, the, in those uh, mediums of communication, how did you deal with the gravity effect? And to me, gravity is the grounding. It's how you make people feel that they landed on something. How can we project that is what I was thinking last night. And how do I adjust what I want to foreground or background depending on who I'm talking to? So now I'm giving talks to business owners. I'm giving talks to military people. They have a very different way of thinking than healthcare. So what are the things that I have to be very intentional in? What, is, what are the pieces of my research that I think will resonate the, mo the most or not? And on top of that, what's my language? How am I going to use the words? I cannot be too technical or jargony if I want to reach those audiences. So I think the words of gravity, that word just, I found it so fascinating because it's this idea of landing and feeling that, oh, the so what? Like, I got it. I'm with you. Yeah. So uh, that, that's what I took away as common, but not something that we really talk and think about a lot as scientists. And you were linking it there to communication as well. I would imagine that's a very important part of your research. Yeah. If you're looking at how these how these teams function, it's about how they communicate yes. together. So what, what are your thoughts um, for your research moving forward? What, what, are, what are your aims? So moving forward, I want to explore more uh, the connections between a collectivity. Uh, and by that, I mean, is the relationships within the team. I'm, I'm curious to know, as I continue to observe these teams, what is it that makes them to be so intertwined with each other, despite the differences in their, in their professions or in their roles? I've seen it, so I want to document those, uh, because now that I know it's possible, then what, what makes them do that? What are the strategies that they use? I have a few ideas from my informal observations with the military people. And then how to infuse that back into healthcare. But at the moment, I'm more, it's more of the curiosity of how that happens, why happens, how people make it work, because this is about the whole team understanding. And I have come to realize that it's a lot about mindset. It's a lot about how people think. Like 
what are the priorities and the goals? If all of us buy into a particular goal, that makes people flock very quickly around it. If we don't think something is important, then that breaks things apart. So mindset has become something that I want to explore a little bit more because I've seen it. And it's very implicit, I would say, or maybe very tacit. Like it's not something that I cannot ask people, what's your mindset? Because people will just go, what do you mean? I have to find ways to make them talk about it. And fortunately for me, one of the things that I brought from engineering is a method called Rich Pictures, where I ask people to draw about their experiences. And based on the drawing, we have more in-depth conversations about ideas. So I'm already thinking about using the method in this case to get at the idea of what's the underlying mindset of this team that is, that is unique, that is kind of their signature mindset that allows them to achieve what they want to achieve. Mm-hmm. So that's probably what I'm, I'll be curious to understand next. I love that you keep saying the word curious because I know that's the, that's the title of your podcast. You have your own podcast, oh, yeah. don't you? Yeah. The Curiosity Habit. And fascinating for me because I'm a journalist. And so in journalism, we're always told, be curious. And it's the same for medical research, as you say. But if you're trying to move forward, it's not just going with, well, this is, this is how it's always been done, but let's be curious how we can... Discover, right. discover other things. So um, just tell me about your podcast yes. experience. Yeah, that, that's great because I, I love the experience. I'm not a journalist, so I'm doing this out of just curiosity yeah. and kind of also the interest of doing something different. And that's another kind of pattern in my life. Maybe because I, the way I was, uh, I grew up in a very convoluted social environment, violent, not because in my family, but in my country, you get to learn to be kind of out of the box thinker in order to achieve things. So I love doing things differently. That would be kind of the, the signature for how, why I do things the way I do it. So I took on this podcast because in conversation with colleagues at, the, at CRI, we were thinking about, we talk a lot about our research, about the topics of our research, the research questions, the methodology, but we don't really talk about the person doing the research. And from experience, I know my research comes from my personal experience and my personal yeah, upbringing. So I thought, what a great way of exploring, okay, what, what are people's hobbies? What did they do? What, what were they interested when they were growing up? Who were their parents? What other avenues they could have taken if they were not in medical education? And it's been fascinating to see in every single conversation, it's like, I'm going at the end. Now I understand why you do the research you do. Because it just comes from a very deep personal interest. So the Curiosity Habit explores that, the stories behind the researcher, more than the stories behind the research. And it's been really fulfilling and allows me to meet people from different places. So it's been a great experience to do. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why we're doing this podcast as well, is to hear everyone's stories. So when you connect on that personal level, yeah. as you say, the research suddenly becomes so much richer and you understand mm-hmm. why it is that people do do what they do. But before we go, just tell me about your experience yep. here at the Karolinska Institute and what that means for you to be part of the, the Fellows Programme for 2023. I've been waiting for it. <laughs> I knew about this programme from other colleagues who have done it. And I was always thinking, oh, I wish I could go because it sounds like a great experience. And so far, it hasn't disappointed. Last night was totally blew my mind, my mind away, uh, again, because of the, the idea of when, I, when we were driving in the bus, I'm thinking, what does painting and art has to do with what we're going to be doing here? But I'm pretty sure there's something in there. 
as the conversation went along and then I started to pick and you were right, everybody was nodding and I'm going, oh yeah, I can see that. Creates a lot of reflection about how to communicate, how to talk about our research, how to make it uh, condensed enough so people can get the gist without me giving you, you the whole dissertation of my PhD, things like that. Uh, so it's been an amazing experience. I'm looking forward to the next three days. This morning, they were saying that we, w- we have to do a three-minute presentation on Wednesday. I'm totally looking forward to that because I want to try it. I know, I know it won't be perfect, but I've been struggling with the messaging, like how I make it succinct enough, but compelling enough to make people, like drive people into the research. And that's a nice challenge that I, I'm looking forward to experience here. I've been fascinated by your story, Cyrus. Thank Thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you to everybody for listening at home. We'll be back very soon with another episode of the KI Prime podcast. For now, goodbye.